So I had someone who uh, said to me this morning, they're like, well, you know, the thing is, is that we've been in like the early phases of a drought and I've been praying for rain uh, for a couple of weeks and God has answered that prayer. I said, you're right. And now we would like you to stop <laughs> praying for this. Um, so I'm glad that you all were able to, to row or swim or sail your way to covenant today and that we can be together uh, to worship. And I want you to know something that, that as we are moving towards Palm Sunday next week and to Holy Week, uh, we are moving closer and closer to the cross and to the end of this six-month journey through Luke uh, that we've been taking together. And we've seen uh, a number of things that have taken place, and we'll continue to see uh, things over the next month. But I want you to pay particular attention to the scripture passage today. Because, and I don't mean this lightly at all, uh, I believe that the scripture passage before us today is incredibly, incredibly important in the year 2019. I think this is an essential uh, passage of scripture for us to pay attention to and to learn from and to be challenged by, okay? So I want you to really listen to this passage today and let's see what God might say to us individually, to, but also in our nation and our world um, that we're living in in 2019. What, what Jesus might say to us and what following him might look like. The passage is from Luke 19, starting in verse 1. And uh, this is what it says. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was able to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. From the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, what questions, what doubts, what dreams, what hopes, that you would speak to us today. We would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would shape and form us forever. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so why would I take this passage from Luke 19 and say that this is a vital and uniquely important passage for the day and age in which you and I find ourselves living today? On the surface of it, this looks like a lot of other passages that we've read in Luke already on this journey. Jesus is there. He's got his disciples with him. He goes into a town. And when he goes into the town, there's a commotion. People want to see him. Maybe they've heard of his teaching. Maybe they've heard of his power to perform miracles. So they come and they want to get a glimpse of him and get close to him. Uh, Jesus does what he tends to do, which is he, uh, in the middle of the crowd, starts hanging out with the wrong people. According to the religious folks, he starts acknowledging the wrong people. Uh, he does it here with Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And then the, the religious people get upset and it says they start grumbling. This verb, this, this idea of grumbling, we see over and over and over again in Luke as we've gone through it. And with Holy Week and the cross coming, we know that this grumbling is about to turn into something far more dangerous. On top of that, we've seen the places already. 
We've seen Jericho, and Jesus is in Jericho, and he's finishing this journey. He's going to Jerusalem for the Passover. Last month, we read about a traveler who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, if you remember, on the same road Jesus is about to travel on, an 18-mile, very dangerous stretch of road where this traveler is beaten up until a good Samaritan comes by. So it's not even that we know kind of the rhythm of what's taking place here, but we actually know the places and we're familiar with the, the, the stuff that Jesus is doing and where he's doing it. So why is it so unique? Why is it so vital? Why is it so important, I believe? What I want us to do this morning is to think about this passage and pay attention to the labels that it contains. The labels of how people are described. How Luke organizes this passage. Labels are something that you and I create in our own life all the time, all of us. Some of us are more prone to it than others. Actually, the act of labeling things for some of us is an act of great delight. My wife is one of these people. Her love language is organizing things into files, uh, it seems like. So we laminate and we, we acknowledge that every file in the file folder is designated with this label. And it means that this label means that these certain things are found in that folder, which is different than any other folder in the file cabinet. And don't mix up what's in what folder because the label tells you the distinct and unique thing about each folder. It's how we organize ourselves. It's how we know the distinctiveness of each folder. But it's not just people who are highly organized who do this. All of us do it. We create labels all the time about people, about systems, about institutions. It helps us to organize our world. And like we see with the labeling system of a folder, we create these labels based on the distinctiveness of each certain person or each certain category. So as we see here, for example, but we do this all the time, we might create labels about how someone looks, about their race, about their gender, about their hair color, about how tall they are. We might create labels around um, certain things that our lives are part of. If the label Texas Tech Red Raider in anywhere intersects with your life, I knew we have a couple of them here. Um, and we're glad you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in this place. Um, that label is a really great label to have associated with your name right now, right? That label tells us something. It creates a distinctiveness about who we are. Labels help us organize and categorize and think about our world. We do that here at Covenant. We're a church. That's a label in a sense. People can see us. We are distinct of other organizations in the city of Austin because we are a Christian community pursuing Jesus together. And not just we're a church, but we have the label Presbyterian there, which means that we're not just um, uh, Episcopalian, we're not Baptist. It's not that those things are, are bad, but that our way of doing life, our governance, our theology has some distinctiveness. So we put that label there, not to focus on the vast majority of our theology that we hold in common with Baptists or Episcopalians. We put the label Presbyterian there because it says the distinctiveness. Labels aren't necessarily good or bad, but they tell you about the distinctiveness. And that's what I'd like you to see today. I'd like us to pay attention to the labels in these 10 verses because they tell us a lot both about Zacchaeus and Jericho and his world, but also of our own. There's four different labels. We're going to bring these up here that are labels for Zacchaeus that are found either through Luke as he's writing this or through the Pharisees, and these are labels for Zacchaeus. In these 10 verses, there are four labels that Zacchaeus is given. I want you to think about each one of them as they come up. The first is, is that he is a chief tax collector. Now we're going to take a second to understand this label because it's really important. What that label means is, is that Zacchaeus is hated by everybody in Jericho. He is alone. He is isolated from 
people because how the, the, the Jericho worked and how other uh, communities worked is that you were a chief tax collector. That meant you worked for the Roman government. You were part of the Roman system that occupied so much of the world, including Jericho. And the way the Romans would control things is they had their army, and then they would collect taxes from all the areas that they had um, uh, conquered. And that worked really differently than it does today. Because Caesar didn't take a straw poll or put anything on the ballot as to whether something should be taxed or not, right? There was no straw poll in Jericho going, let's find out how the people in Jericho feel about higher taxes and what that's going to mean for us. There was nothing on the ballot saying, you know, if we raise taxes this much, it's going to get us parks or green belts that look this way, and do you all want that or not? We grumble about our taxes, but you could not have complained to the people at that time because the tax rates were much higher Many times for people who were very, very poor and they had no voice in what the tax system looked like. So Rome would then take these local people, in, often in villages or towns, people maybe who had grown up there. Zacchaeus may have lived in Jericho for much of his life, maybe his whole life. They would have seen him grow up. But all of a sudden he becomes a traitor to his people. He starts working for Rome and being the one to actually go out into the local neighborhoods and collect the taxes. And when he would go out, he would go out with Roman soldiers who were with him meaning that nobody could protest, nobody could stand up to Zacchaeus, no one could say anything about him. He was a traitor to his own people. And what Zacchaeus and what other chief tax collectors would do, and he acknowledges this in the passage, is they were very corrupt because of it. So, for instance, he might do something like he'd show up at your house and say, the tax this year for Rome that I'm here today to collect now, not in installments, today you will give it to me, is 60% of everything you have. And you might be going, yeah, but I thought it was 50%. We heard 50% this year, and Zacchaeus is like, nope, it's 60. And if you have any problem with that, there's 12 soldiers right here that you can take it up with. 50% might go to Rome. Zacchaeus would keep the 10% that he'd be skimming off the top. And that leads to the second label that's found here. He was rich. Luke makes it distinctive about this. In a place where there was a lot of poverty or there was a lot of just hard working to provide daily for your family, Zacchaeus was different from the norm. He was separate from the norm. But his wealth was rubbing it in the face of all the people that he was skimming off the top from and protected from. So number one, he's a chief tax collector. That means he's rich. And then it says the third thing Luke describes him as is short. And it may have been that the people just liked pointing that out to Zacchaeus because they couldn't do anything else to him. So that you could at least have that, right? Like, let's be clear, when Jesus showed up and Zacchaeus couldn't see, it's not that the people were going, oh, no, 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 everyone clear out so Zacchaeus can see, right? It may have been the only thing, as immature as it sounds to do, but they'd place all the tall people in front of Zacchaeus. And it's like, you know, at least we can do this. We can't stand up to him, we can't do anything about all his money and everything else, but we cannot let him see, because he's short. He climbs a tree then. I also think that what Luke's saying here is that it's not just that he's physically short, There's something about him that is small in his morality, in his character, and everyone knows it. And last, text describes him as a sinner. And it kind of all leads to this thing. That's what the religious people see him as. And what we need to see in these labels, and that in each of these four, that's the way Zacchaeus was known. Those labels defined him. Zacchaeus lived a life where he was very wealthy and very protected and very alone. And all of those had to work together. And so his labels separated him from the other. That's different than how labels often work in our world, which they just tell us the distinctiveness. In this case, Zacchaeus was defined and separated and boundaries were created because of his labels.
Now, that's what I think is particularly important for us today. Because in many ways, friends, our society has begun moving back to labels working in this fashion. Labels have become more and more divisive than they've often been in our past. Labels have become more weaponized than at any point in our past. Labels and the divisions have caused and the stereotypes that go with them are how we see and encapsulate people in our society more and more and more and more. Take some of the labels like being a Christian or even, heaven forbid, throw the word in an evangelical Christian that goes before that. That label and that term is heard very differently than 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Never mind the fact that the word just means Christians who want to tell other people about the good news. But that's not how people hear it anymore. That label has become something that is very, very divisive in our society. And it becomes a caricature and a stereotype that, that, that separates us from one from another. Whether sometimes we are in that camp of going, well, are you lost or are you saved? There's two categories and there's a divide between them. Or are you this or are you that or how people see us? Are you this? Are you that? But we have moved more towards those times. We have weaponized terms like liberal and conservative. And we see and understand stereotypes of people based on what camp they're in. And we surround ourselves and like Zacchaeus, isolate ourselves in what one sociologist calls an echo chamber of our own self-righteousness where everyone is like us and everyone thinks the same as us and everyone votes the same and ideological purity is right. And if anyone strays from that ideological idea of how we work, no matter what our position is, then we will cut them off. Democrat and Republican and everyone in between. We live in a time where labels and divisions and barriers and isolation one from another has increased in ways that have created a culture that is bitter and divided like I know I have never experienced in my lifetime. And into that world we are placed. I have family friends that I've known and known for a long time where there is two parents and an adult child who for the last two and a half years have had no contact with each other, none. And where that started was around the 2016 election. Because one of them was for Trump and the other one was for anyone other than Trump. And that line and that fissure has become so big and their faith has become a part of it where both of them have cut off contact from one another because the positions they hold are more important than the person across from them who holds another. Now that might be extreme. That's not every family, but that is happening and the, the tentacles of that are felt more than most of us have experienced in our lifetime. And into that world and into a very divided Jericho based on labels and divisions and isolations comes Jesus. Jesus comes into that. And Jesus addresses Zacchaeus, but Jesus uses very different words and labels to address Zacchaeus. You see these here. The first is this. Zacchaeus, when he comes in, does not say, hey, chief tax collector, hey, wealthy guy, hey, short man up in a tree so that you can see. Hey, sinner, one that is separated and, and kept. Jesus knows all of these things, but the moment that Jesus rides in, the way that he speaks is he calls Zacchaeus by his name. 
He is the only person who speaks in this passage that ever acknowledges Zacchaeus' name. Everyone else sees Zacchaeus as a label that divides Zacchaeus from the others. Jesus' first words to him are to call him by his name. Zacchaeus to Jesus is not a position or an immorality that needs to be addressed. Zacchaeus is a person who is known, who has value, who is identified, who is sought after. And then secondly, we see that the only other term that Jesus uses in this passage to address Zacchaeus is that he is the son of Abraham, part of the covenant of God's relationship with this world. And the covenant works a lot like grace. You don't earn your way into a covenant and you can't sin your way out of it because it's so bad. It's a lot like grace that you and I have. And Jesus is using the only label, really, that he could have used with Zacchaeus besides his name to emphasize their common bond and the common relationship they have as people whom God has a covenant relationship with rather than the labels that say, you're here and I'm here. Bring the other list back up for a second. Look at these. Chief tax collector, rich, short, sinner. Think about the values behind that and how Zacchaeus is labeled. Those are all the labels he has. Then look at Jesus. Name, belonging. I wonder what following Jesus looks like in 2019 and the world we're in today. With the divisions, the weaponization of all different kinds of things, I wonder what it looks like for you and I to follow Jesus today from what we see here. The cool part is that we can do it (laughs) because Zacchaeus has this amazing repentance he looks at Jesus and he comes down and he says, I want to give away so much of my money. And he, he says, the people I've defrauded, he admits, he confesses his sin to Jesus that, that I, have, I have defrauded people of money. I want to pay them back in this extravagant generosity fourfold. Well, what does Jesus do to bring about this, this incredible repentance in Zacchaeus? He doesn't do anything miraculous that you and I can't do. This is one of the only passages where Jesus doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't tell a really clever parable. He doesn't heal anybody. He doesn't uh, you know, raise someone from the dead. He doesn't perform anything thing that any of us cannot do starting today, what he does is emphasizes the connection he has with Zacchaeus versus the positions that make them different. And you and I can do that today. And our world, our city, our families need us to be doing that. We should be leaders in what this looks like in our very divided society. There's some people that are starting to write and think about this. One of them who I've enjoyed reading uh, is David Brooks. David Brooks is a columnist that uh, has written for, for years. He's been on television. He's a pundit in our culture. In recent years, David Brooks has encountered Jesus. He's just gotten remarried to a woman who actually worked uh, at a Texas Connection, worked at Lady Lodge and the HEB Foundation. Uh, David Brooks is, is, is somebody that Jesus has become real to him. It's changing uh, so much of this long, this, this voice that's been in our society, this, this writer and pundit in our society for a long time. And David Brooks wrote a column in late February that some of you may have seen where he talked about this nature of how you and I are called to respond in these divided times. He said what many of us have seen and heard and experienced. He said, man, when I look at the nation today, we are more divided, more uh, politicized, more uh, spread apart than ever before based on these labels. And he said, but when I go to local communities, I see hope. 
When I go to local places and see local people, he said, I see these individuals in almost every community around America. They're not the people in the headlines often. They're not the ones that are the superstars that are creating headlines for people. They're not the ones being interviewed on TV. But they're these people in local communities who are reaching beyond the stereotypes that divide us one from another. They're the people who are not creating headlines with these inflammatory statements and articles because they're reaching across and desiring relationship with people who might think differently or vote differently or look differently or live in a different zip code than they do. He says, and when I look and see these people, I see hope. And he said that the term he has started using for these people, he says, they're weavers. They weave relationships together. They work for the common good of other people. They don't ask how you vote before they ask how you are. They don't insist on ideological purity before they insist on relationship. And he said, and you just look, and in these quiet ways, they just know people, and they weave stories together, and they are weaving together rather than tearing at the social fabric. I love that image of how you and I are supposed to do, because that looks a lot like Jesus. It looks a lot like what we see here when Jesus enters into Jericho. So what might that mean for you today? Well, it might mean that in this season of Lent, in this last week before Palm Sunday, it might lead us to some things we need to repent of, change in our ways. It might mean, for example, that we stop weaponizing social media might think, mean that we start thinking more carefully about the stereotypes that we put out there that continue to divide us one from another, where the ones that you know, where the people who are like you are just going to pat you on the back and the others are going to defriend you or move away, that we are going to be people who seek something different than that. It might mean that we start building relationships with people who we know have different labels than us, wherever we live, work, and play, not to debate the issues again for the 48th time, but to ask how their children are. To ask how their marriage is going. To ask, have they found a job yet? To ask how you can be praying for them. To build connection and, and, and to involve the equal parts of our humanity before we get into what makes you over there and me over here. And friends, if we do that, we're going to get criticized. If you do that, you will be criticized. By people on the extremes of both sides of the spectrums. And both sides will do it. And they'll use terms like that when that happens, that we may sound wishy-washy on the defining issues of our times. Well, maybe to them that's what it looks like. But let me tell you something. There's nothing wishy-washy about following Jesus. There's nothing wishy-washy about following Jesus. There's nothing wishy-washy about saying that people are more important than ideological purity. There's nothing wishy-washy about saying that relationships and learning from each other is more important than like-mindedness and narrow thinking. There's nothing wishy-washy about saying that we can learn from one another in our differences because if you and I can be leaders at coming out from behind these labels and these walls and emphasizing what holds us together and building relationships with each other, all the stuff Jesus does here, we might actually see our society change. We might see these eruptions of joy and meaning and change like we see in Zacchaeus. All because Jesus just recognizes and welcomes him in in relationships rather than says, you stay over there until you get your stuff together. Because there is something true in this time that is also true for us today is people do not care what you know until they know that you care. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
May we take this baton, this mantle, in this divided day and seek to weave people and relationships into our life wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would lead and guide us as your people in these divided days. That we would hear the call to love, to reach out, to move beyond the headlines that divide us and the voices that say that division and purity is better than relationship and community. And that somewhere in the midst of our life together, you will change us all for this world to look more and more like the way you intended it. Bring us out from behind our barriers and our hand grenades and our self-righteousness to live in community that's bigger and honestly probably more beautiful. May this table be a reminder to us of what is possible when we start with love and relationship versus position and righteousness. We give you thanks for your example in all of this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.